Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Let's stay standing together. Uh, Robbie's going to read for us from page 926, um, Acts chapter 17, verses uh, 16 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you, and that text is on page 926. Thank you, Robbie. Hello. There you go. All right, there's a lot of big words in this uh, passage, so forgive me, Grace, if I mispronounce them. Okay, uh, 16 through 34. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For he brings some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said, for we have indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. But he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, and among among whom also were Dionysus, the Rapagate, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Amen. Thank you, Robbie. The Isaiah chapter 40, we read this each week after our scripture is read. Isaiah 40, verse 8, says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that it is, it is timeless. It has undergone um, the, the most intense scrutiny um, and, and, uh, and has weathered that very well. Um, and and here, here your word is before us today. 
Uh, and so, Lord, uh, where we, where we uh, may be prone to scrutinize your word today, uh, would you just, by your spirit, allow your word to scrutinize us, um, not in a way of, of, uh, of, of shame, not in a way of, of hopelessness, uh, but in a great way of hope, in a great way that the spirit of God does in your people. Uh, when your word is read and studied and understood. Um, and so, so, Lord, may we, uh, rather than expecting the word to submit to us, may we submit to it. Um, and, and, Lord, just let it guide us um, in our time today um, as we learn and, and hear great and marvelous things um, about who you are and, uh, and what you have done uh, to purchase salvation for us. In your name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. I want, I want you uh, to want to begin this morning with a little bit of an activity, um, and I want you to interact in your mind. I don't know. I might give you a second or two to interact with people around you if you really want, but I would just imagine you're probably going to sit there like this. That's fine. Um, I want you to interact with this statement for just a moment in your mind, this statement right here, that God is a missionary God. God is a missionary God. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I remember the first time I heard it um, and was somewhat confused by it uh, because I thought that missionaries were only people uh, that you read about in books that went to other countries. Um, God is a missionary God who you do read about in a book who did go to another land, uh, the way that we, we see that in John chapter one. And so I just want you to think about that statement this morning as we walk through this text together. Um, in August of, of 2021, uh, God began, uh, kind of put in motion a, a series of events in my own life, really in my own heart and mind, um, that, that crystallized this statement for me, that God is a missionary God. Um, about 10 of us in here, um, I think it was about 10 of us, took, took a, a course called Perspectives. Uh, Perspectives is a course that traces um, the biblical, historical, cultural, and strategic perspectives. There's, there's four, there's four uh, perspectives that it's looking at. Those weren't just random. Biblical perspective, historical perspective, cultural perspective, and strategic perspective on the movement of Christianity throughout the world. Essentially, like, how have we gotten to where we are today um, from, from, through these four lenses, biblically, the, you know, and theologically, and then historically, what has happened through the ages, culturally, what has been at play strategically, um, what has been at play and what will continue to be at play as the gospel continues to spread throughout the world. And so um, this particular semester of perspectives, the classes were on a Monday night. Um, they were held on a Monday night. And so the, the, the few of us here that were part of that class would go every Monday night for a couple of hours, um, and we would just we would, we, would, we would just sit in this seminar, this teaching. Um, the particular Monday night that this class began um, in August of 2021 um, happened to be the Monday after the, the fall of Kabul, Afghanistan um, to, the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the Taliban, that the Monday after that really ramped up. Um, obviously, um, if you kept up with the news, you saw that that was a little bit of kind of like a slow progressive uh, process that, that that happened, but, but it was really over that weekend that things began to really heighten. Um, and and then I remember, I actually specifically remember on a Thursday, 
uh, it being a Thursday, that, that I just saw some news break that pretty much for that entire weekend had me glued to news coverage. I mean, I remember here that Sunday morning uh, preaching and getting alerts on my, I think I had my iPad at the time, getting alerts on my iPad about things that were taking place. And so the, the, the coverage and the news just flooded, if you remember that. Um, and, and so we won't get into all of the, the, the politics and the social aspects of that um, for, at the moment, but, but that night at Perspectives, that very first night at Perspectives, I sat at a table. They have you set up at tables. Um, I sat at a table, and the table was marked with the Afghanistan flag. Um, every table had a different country on it, and I just so happened to sit at the table uh, Afghanistan. In fact, I, there were probably some of our folks were Jim, Mike, y'all, y'all beat us there every week because y'all brought us food all semester. Y'all, you and Leanne and Ted, um, you guys, you guys, y'all were probably in those seats before I was. And so I got there and sat down at this table with an Afghanistan flag on it. And, and like I said, I had found myself intrigued and preoccupied with this coverage. And so when the first session was over, when Perspectives was over that night, I asked the Perspectives coordinator, which happened to be Ted Leanne's daughter, um, the Perspectives coordinator, if we could take some time that night to pray for Afghanistan. Um, hey, like, here we are in a Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. I'm sitting at an Afghanistan table. Is, is there any way that we could pray for Afghanistan? Um, and, and she did what any great leader does, and she said, sure, would you do that for us? Um, and I, that's not what I was expecting. I mean, as you know, I don't have a problem getting in front of people and talking for a lot of minutes, but I was not necessarily expecting that. In fact, I think I even said things in my prayer that were inaccurate about Afghanistan. I just knew nothing about Afghanistan. Um, I had no idea where, I couldn't point to it on a map, um, I, I was really nervous to do it, but, but I led the class that night in a prayer um, really for three things. The well-being of Afghanistan, just as a, as a country. Um, I prayed for the protection of Christians in Afghanistan. Uh, there was, there's, there's, the, the church exists in Afghanistan. I don't know if you know that, uh, but, but those of you who maybe think that the church is just an American thing, uh, it, it, in fact, the, the church in America might be a, a little less lesser degree of church than it actually is in other places of the world. So let's just get that straight. But we prayed for the church and for the Christians who were in Afghanistan. And I even prayed, I made, I made the mistake of even praying for, and, and you know what I mean by that, for, 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 for our willingness as a nation and as the church, not just Grace Harbor, um, but I prayed for our willingness as a nation and as the church to welcome any refugees who came. And, and over the course of the next few months, uh, we, we, we learned more and more information about what this was gonna look like. And then, the, and then news broke in Oklahoma that Oklahoma was gonna receive 1,800 Afghan refugees. And 1,000 of them were gonna be placed in Oklahoma City and 800 were gonna be placed in Tulsa. And, and, and to me, that was just a number. It was just a theory. Like I, I went to a meeting one time at Henderson Hills when they were, they were kind of talking about, okay, we're about to get this flood of refugees from Afghanistan. Um, here's what we can do. I remember leaving that meeting completely overwhelmed and, and not doing anything for six months. I mean, I, I, I went there seeking to learn. I was overwhelmed and, and I, was, I was completely overwhelmed by it. I'm gonna stop that story here because I wanna share some more of that tonight. But here's, here's the reason why I share what I've shared so far. What I knew intellectually at the time 
but not in a really personal way in the way that I would come to know it is that God is a missionary God. That, 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 that God is a, a missionary. What I didn't know that night and I would come to know in a deeply personal way was not only that God was just a missionary God, but how eager God was to answer that prayer that we had that night. How eager he was to answer that prayer. What I didn't know that night and that I know now is that, is that God was aligning my heart with his in, in a pretty profound way. I didn't even know it was going on. Had no idea it was happening. And so we, we don't have time this morning, but like I said, if you come back tonight, you'll hear the rest of the story. You'll hear the rest of the story, story and you will see how Grace Harbor has really, so, so I, I've, I've, got to, I've, I've got to take responsibility for it, not in a, in a, in a prideful way, but you're just gonna to have to bear with me. God's kind of not just answered this prayer for me, but for us as a church in a pretty big way. And so what we have today, what we're gonna spend time this morning on is not the stories of the last year, which I could share hundreds, literally hundreds of stories what we have before us today is God's word, and we're gonna, we're gonna hang out here, okay? We're gonna hang out here, we're gonna get a, we're gonna, just like perspectives takes the biblical, historical, it kind of goes from, from greater to lesser, biblical, historical, cultural, strategic. This morning is the biblical part of our day. Come back tonight, and you will see some of the, uh, some of the historical, cultural, strategic components of what's going on in our area. Um, but, but this morning, we have the word before us, and a text that shows us God's heart for the nations. Um, this, this is a text that clearly shows us. Let me, let me, this is kind of my thesis statement this morning. This is a text that clearly shows us that God's heart is so much for the nations of the world that he does not operate reactively or on a whim. God does not wake up in the morning and read the newspaper. Can I just tell you that? and decide from there how he's going to act and operate. God's heart is so much for the nations that he does not operate reactively or on a whim. Rather, what he does is he seeks and operates sovereignly in seeking worshipers and bringing people to himself. He, he seeks after this actively rather than reactively. And so admittedly, this is somewhat of a challenging text. You know me, I can turn a, I can turn a small thing into a big thing. Um, this Acts 17 could be probably a, it's four, a, a four-week series. Um, and so there's a little bit of a challenge here because there's lots of things in it. There's lots of implications in it. There's, there's implications historically. There's implications um, of, of like the Old Testament faith and all of those things. Um, and, and there's lots of applications that we could draw from this text. But I want us to see this morning three major movements in the text that just kind of, over, that kind of undergird all of them. Three, three major movements in this text that undergird any application or implication that you could make, and it's specifically geared on God's mission in the world, God being a missionary God. First, we're gonna see how Paul highlights um, how a missionary God operates in redemptive history. So Paul first is gonna show us that how God operates um, as a missionary God in redemptive history. Secondly, we're gonna look at Paul highlighting how a missionary God operates in the lives of ordinary people like you and me in 73162 in 2023. And then the third thing that we're gonna see is that Paul gives us our mission, namely that he preaches Christ. 
that he, that he preaches Christ to, to these things. And so let's, let's read verses 22 through 25 this morning. We, we've seen 16, 16 through 21 really just kind of sets up, sets this, it's the setting for this. Paul is, is waiting in Athens for uh, uh, Silas and Timothy. He's waiting there. He's kind of wandering through the city and he sees some things going on. Man, this is a captivating story. It's very, very interesting. And so Paul's wandering through this thing. He sees a lot of, idols and, un, and, and he sees lots of idols erected through the city. He sees one um, that the people maybe for good measure just kind of put up for, to the unknown God, just in case we have forgotten one maybe. To the unknown God, this, we'll, we'll put this so that we can hopefully please him. And so they, he's, he's preaching Jesus and, and they're saying he's a preacher of foreign divinities. He's preaching, he's preaching craziness. Um, and, and, it's, and it says that in, in verse um, 19, it says, May we know what this teaching is. And so you know Paul, he rolls up his sleeves and he said, you betcha, you betcha. That's how Paul is. He's like, I will absolutely tell you this, these things. And so let's read verses 23 to 25 in light of that. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along, and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And so Paul seems first to be laying out how and who this God is and how he operates in redemptive history. Like think of the 40,000 foot view. Think of the thing that like, I don't think this is the case here, but think of, think of not applying to yourself, but applying to God. This pertains to who God is, and, 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 and Paul, that's his point. He is saying, this unknown God that you have erected this God to, I'm gonna tell you who this God is. So let me tell you who he is. And so Paul is preaching primarily to a, a, a Gentile audience here. He's, he's in, he is in Athens. It's, it, it's, it says that there's Jews. It says in verse 17 that he reasoned in the synagogue of Jews, but he was also in the marketplace. Um, he was also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And who was there were the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And so these were Gentile people, not Jewish people, but Paul brings in components um, of, of a Jewish message here. He brings in components of this Jewish message talking about this, 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 this great God that, that, they're, that they're seeking to appease in some manner, this God that the Jewish people would have been familiar with. He's preaching this to Gentile philosophers. And so Paul begins his gospel proclamation, his gospel presentation here with truth, with the truth about a God who created and a God who sets things in motion from the very beginning to show that he is a God who pursues people. That he is a God who pursues and goes out. And in Acts, the whole book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, it's very characteristic of, uh, or it's very characteristic for the gospel proclamations to be shared within the backdrop of this redemptive history. And so you see with Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2, where does Peter start? 
It obviously climaxes with the death and resurrection of Jesus, but he's preaching to Jewish people. Where does he start? He starts at the very beginning. He starts with, with connecting that, hey, this Jesus is the one that, that God and the Hebrew faith revolves around, that this Hebrew faith revolves around. You see Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, or his speech, whatever you would like to call it. In Acts 7, Stephen takes the same approach. He starts way back in the back. You see Peter's message to the Gentiles in Acts 10. And all of these are retracing the history of Israel and the prophets that lead right up to Jesus. They point all to, so why do I share this? Why do I share this? Because it's very important to know that God, that Paul, what Paul's trying to let us know here is that God in his very nature is a God who pursues us. The God who created all things. Not just this New Testament idea, but this eternal plan of God was just to be a God who pursues relationship with his people and seeks those who would worship him. And so maybe the reason why these men retrace this Jewish history um, is because they're speaking primarily to Jews. That's true. But is it possible that maybe it's not either or, but both and? Is it possible that maybe he's not only, these, these men are not only doing it because Jews are inside, but because these men want to establish the idea that God in eternity past was a God who was pursuing people to worship him, pursuing relationship with his people. And so might it be that the gospel proclamation of the apostles is intentionally shared to show God's eternal plan in redeeming his people, that God has this eternal plan. And so here's the thing with the book of Acts. The, the, someday we'll preach through it, but the, the, the audiences through the book of Acts may change, but God does not. That the audiences may change throughout the, the books of the Bible. Matthew, you've got Matthew writing to a, either a congregation of, 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 of Jewish converts or people familiar with the Jewish faith. The audiences changes, but the message does not that Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, the, the mission of Jesus is the mission of God to pursue and to seek for himself people who would worship and bow before him. The audiences may change, but the way that God operates and acts does not. The times and the circumstances may have changed, but God has not. God's gracious plan today is what God's gracious plan has always been, to seek people to worship him to seek people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He, his, his, his gracious plan in creation was that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. His purpose in the covenants that he made with his people was so that the earth and all the peoples would know the glory of God. The, 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 the purpose of the church, church, the purpose of us is so that the world may know the glory of God. And, and, and come in contact with his son, Jesus, through whom there is, there is salvation by no other name. That is his purpose. So God is at work. What Paul's showing us is that God is at work sovereignly and providentially through the history of nations to redeem for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But here's the second thing, church. If, if, if you feel like that's just way up high, let's, let's bring it down to ground level because Paul brings us down to ground level. Paul highlights, secondly, how a missionary God operates in the lives of ordinary people. So look at verses 26 through 28. And he made, this, this God that Paul's talking about, and, and he made from one man every nation of mankind. One man, Adam, he's talking of Adam here. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth 
having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So Paul takes this high, cosmic, somewhat what feels like an unreachable truth of how God operates to redeem people for himself, and he brings it right down to the ground level for you and me. He brings it right down to the ground level. From one man, Paul says, from one man, God made every man in every nation to live on all the face of the earth, not arbitrarily, but how? By determining periods and boundaries of their dwellings. Why? That they might seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Church family, we need to hear this today because it's really what today revolves around on an, applic- from, from, from an application level for us. The cosmic eternal reality that God is seeking people who would worship him alone involves you and me. Is that, is that amazing or what? This, this eternal plan that God had in Christ to redeem people for himself is not just some arbitrary goal, but involves you and I and, and our faithfulness to him and sharing with whoever we come in contact with this hope of the gospel, this great hope of the gospel. And, 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 and guess what? It doesn't just involve you in a vague way. What the text says is it involves the geographical place in which you live, work, and play. So hear this. I mentioned this last week. Hear this. Your, you and your situation and your location is not an accident. To, to believe that it's an accident, to believe that you are here for just a short time to, to fulfill whatever purpose you have for yourself is to not give glory to God and to acknowledge that he has you here for a gracious and sovereign purpose so that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so listen, man, I've been in places in my life where I'm like, I'm just ready to get out of here. But can I just say that your situation, your location, according to this text, is, 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 is you are there so that others would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Why? Because God is seeking worshipers for himself. Your mission, church family, is to fulfill his mission. Your mission is to fulfill his mission. Your mission is to fulfill the mission that Jesus came to do, to seek and to save that which was lost. Hey, at the end of Matthew, Jesus gives us that same commission. Hey, you go to all the world. That's the mission that he gives us. Jesus says himself in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save that, to, to save the lost it wasn't as if the father had one eternal plan and Jesus had like his own earthly plan. It wasn't like these two plans were competing or, or not together. Jesus and the father are one in every way, in every way, including in their mission. So church, you are not an accident. You're not an accident. You are part of an eternal cosmic plan right here today that God set in motion and weaved into the very fabric of creation. God is a God who seeks. Hey, did you know that if you are a Christian in this room today that God sought you? 
Hold on, let me ask that one more time because we're asleep. Did you know that if you're a Christian here today, God sought you? God is a God who seeks. And we got, we got stories all over this room that like leaves no doubt in our mind whatsoever. It's like, man, if God would, I mean, this is really all of our story, but especially some stories, if God would not have sought after me, I would not know him. That's all of our story. That God is a God who seeks. And how does he ultimately show us that? And how do we see that in the text? Well, I think the way that, the, the, the grand way that we see this is no more than and no less than Jesus Christ himself. You wanna know how we can know that God is a God who seeks? Look to Christ. Paul does that. Let's read verses 29 through 34. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men, of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. Now, when they heard this, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with him. So if you want undeniable evidence that God is a God who seeks, if you want the heart of the message that we have to share with the world that shows that God is a God who seeks, then what do we do? We preach Christ. We proclaim him, a crucified, resurrected, reigning Christ who saves sinners, seeks and saves that which was lost. Paul, Paul here, if you notice kind of the context, Paul is in a highly intellectual, philosophical context. You see that? He's in a, these people are philosophers. It says, it says that. And, and what does Paul do? Does he, does he philosophize with them? Is that how you say that? I don't know. Yeah, that's good. He, does he philosophize with them? No, he doesn't. What does he do? Well, he tells us what he does in these moments. Let's go to, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You want to know what Paul does in these moments? We don't see it in, in Acts necessarily. Well, we, we see it play out in Acts, but in 1 Corinthians, it's like, it's like he's, he's kind of giving these people like, hey, here's what I do in these moments. First Corinthians 2, chapter 1 through 5. Paul speaking, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come, to, come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. So what does Paul do in this situation? How does he show them? Who is it that he presents to them to show them that God is seeking worshipers for himself? 
he proclaims Christ dead and resurrected. That Christ's death was for you, his resurrection for you. That to a lost and dying world, we preach Christ. To some, as 2 Corinthians says, preaching Christ will be the aroma of life and to others, the aroma of death. So here's what I want you to know, believers in here today, that God has sought after you. Hey, it's very likely that in this room, there's people who have not placed their trust in Christ. And can I tell you right now, God is seeking your heart. You are being pursued. As C.S. Lewis calls it, he's the hound of heaven. He is on your heels. And you may try to run. You, you, may, you may try to do all sorts of things, but, but God is a God who seeks and pursues us. And if you are a believer, praise God that he sought and found you when a stranger. And if you're not, if you haven't placed your trust in him, know that he is seeking after you today. Um, let's read 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, because I think this is important for, for what I want to share here. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15. We'll read, we'll read 14 um, through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. <laughs> okay, church. Let's pause for a second. Remember, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, right? So we've, we talked about when we preached that, it's not a matter of whether or not you are light. It's, it's, it's how good of a light are you? Not that your salvation rests in how good of a light you are, but the, 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 the statement by Christ there is not like, ah, uh, you know, you can just decide. If you're a believer, you are the light of the world, and so what 2 Corinthians 2 says is, we are the aroma of Christ. And so do you smell good or do you smell bad, first of all? Just, just do you smell good or bad? Are you, are you Christian? Are you faithful in this? But if you smell good, it, it would seem to say that if we are faithful in our proclamation, we are faithful aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing, to one, of, to one of those, you're gonna smell like death. And when you smell like death, it, it's gonna mean that you're being faithful. And we, we, don't, we don't know how to divvy these people out. We don't know who's who, right? We don't, we don't always know who's who. But to the other, we are a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And so, so church, we have a mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Some want nothing to do with it. Others will. Uh, and, and, they, and they will because God is seeking worshipers for himself. Uh, it, was, it was nearly one year ago, kind of bookending this today with this story. About a year, it was a year ago in May, um, I met three families um, living in an apartment complex just two miles from my house. Uh, there were three refugee families from Afghanistan. So you remember, um, it was August in the perspectives course where couldn't put anything on the map and never met someone from that area of the world. Um, certainly not, a, not one who, who had left because of, because of warfare and, 
all those things as a refugee. But at a 7-Eleven, I, I met a, I met a, a, a man who was, who's, who's one of my neighbors. Um, and we got to know each other really well. Our families got to know each other very well. So that was, that was almost a year ago. Two years ago, two years ago, these families were living in a part of Afghanistan that would have been virtually impossible for a Christian to meet them, let alone share Christ with them. Now, they are here, and for a year, I have mostly been able to interact with them weekly, a lot of times more than, more than once a week. And the, the, the question that should, that should pop up into your mind, or, or what hopefully if, uh, if, if, you've, if you've listened this morning, you should be like, well, yeah, Acts chapter 17. Because God determines a lot of, God determines a lot of periods and boundaries of people's dwelling place. So two years ago, they, they couldn't hear the gospel. Well, within a year, there's 70 people in this room that they're two miles away from. And you can go knock on their door right now and they'll smile and let you in their house. And, and as Americans, let me just tell you something, you can say whatever you want. It's really cool. Like, they're not offended. You literally can just say whatever you, you can take whatever you want in there and they'll, they'll take it. They'll be like, you, you give them a Bible in their, in their, in their language, they'll, they, yeah, I'll take it. Hey, two years ago, that, that wasn't happening. But it's happening now. Why is it happening now? Well, because God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That's why. This week I had two, two of those men, two, two of the men in my home. Um, they were sitting, they were sitting in, in the office at my house and one of them saw a, a Bible resource that I had in my office. Um, and it was, it was written in their language. In fact, I, I actually just picked it up real quick, just picked it up, and I said, hey, is this, is this in, in your language or in another Afghan language? And, and they said, it's in the other Afghan language, but they could still read it, praise God. Um, and so I just, that was just a way for me just like pop it in front of their eyes, set it back down, maybe just like plant a little seed for right there. And then totally unprovoked, one of the two men um, asked if he could see it. Like, can, can, I, can I see that, that book? And um, it, it was not the Bible, uh, but it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book with Bible stories in it that all point to who Christ is. So it's, it's proclaiming Christ pretty much on, on every page. And totally unprovoked, I didn't ask him to do it. I didn't ask him if he wanted to do it. He, this man sat and read this resource and was visibly captivated by it for 30 minutes, read this book. Um, at one point in, in, the, in, the, in the time that he was with me, um, he, th- these, these two men, uh, when they come to my home, they, they pray. They, uh, they are people of Muslim faith. Um, they pray. They bring their rugs, and they'll pray in my, my room. I, I don't stop them from doing this. They, they do this, and um, if they ever asked me to do it, I would not participate with them, but they do that. And, and what he did, I, I've told some people that when I first met them, they, they would pray for about 20 minutes. Um, as I've gotten to know them more and more, their prayer lasts maybe like three minutes. <laughs> They're just like, I gotta go do this and I gotta get done so I can get back over here. It's, and there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's burdensome to them. It's what they must do in order to be accepted before God. It's what they must do to be accepted and it's, it's exhausting. Hey, some of us in here have dealt 
with, with legalism, right? We've dealt with these burdens that we put on ourselves when, hey, we are free because of the forgiveness of Christ. And, and so these men would, so, so when he did this, he, this is the, this is, it's, it's just a beautiful, almost a beautiful irony. When he, when he set the book down to go pray, I had a tissue box on my desk. Actually, I think it has the same design on it. I promise I didn't take it from the church. Um, he, he, grabbed, he grabbed a tissue, and he, he, he grabbed this book that he was reading, and he set the tissue in the book and closed it, set it down, went and prayed for about two minutes, and then came back and picked it up. Because he was so captivated by the message of Christ that this book proclaimed. And he, he looked at me and he said, this is good. And hey, when, when, you're, when you're dealing with people like this, that right there is like light years. You know? Aren't you grateful for the patience of God? Because I, 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 my mind was blown. He said, he said this, is, this is good. They asked for another copy. He said, can we have two? Can we have two of these? I said, yes, take this one. And they said, no, we, won't want, we don't want to take yours. Just get us two more. And they, they wanted to read it. And do you know why this happened? Do you know why this happened, church family? Because God is seeking for himself worshipers from every nation. And because God's activity in determining allotted periods and boundaries of our dwelling place works both ways. God has determined um, the allotted period and boundary of my dwelling place and God has determined the, bound, the boundaries and dwelling place for them as well. It can't be true one way and not another. And so you are where you are. These neighbors are where they are. And, and listen, let's, let's think beyond just our Afghan refugee neighbors. Think about your, the neighbors that look just like you on either side of you. Your house and their house and the people inside of them are there because God is seeking for himself worshipers. And maybe you're there because God is seeking them and wants you to be faithful to proclaim this message to them. And so God's activity in determining a lot of periods and boundaries of our dwelling place works both ways for mine and for them. I hope that you'll make plans to join us tonight uh, because you're gonna hear like no preaching, some really practical ways that this, this is this is coming together here in our city. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. Um, we thank you that um, you have sought us. Um, thank you that uh, you, are, you are seeking others, that you have, you have others that, that we, don't, we don't know, um, but, but you'll show us. We believe that you will, you will show us as we faithfully, humbly, boldly proclaim this life-changing message to those around us. We praise you for that. We praise you for your work in us and around us. Um, we pray that that would be the, we would pray that, we pray that the, the work that we would desire the most is that you would work in us and that from that, you would work through us. So many of us want, to, want you to work through us, but we don't want you to work in us. And Lord, I need, a, I need a great work to happen in me before you do something really great through me, oftentimes. 
Thank you for using me, though, despite myself. Um, Lord, that's the, that's the beauty of, of this church. That's the beauty of, of grace, um, that, that oftentimes it's despite us that you work through us. Uh, but, but Lord, we do pray um, that you would do a, a mighty work in us, um, in our lives. Give us a love for your word, um, a love for your son, Jesus, um, a love for your world, um, and a love to see other people come to know you. Uh, we pray these things in your name. Amen.